This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place for first-hand Cold War history accounts. And thanks to financial supporter Jack Veselak for providing today's intro. Make sure you hit that follow button in your podcast app so you don't miss out on future episodes. The Jodrell Bank Observatory in Cheshire in the UK played a significant secret role during the Cold War. It was established in 1945 by Bernard Lovell, a radio astronomer at Manchester University, to investigate cosmic rays after his work on radar in the Second World War. We hear some intriguing details of the site's Cold War roles, including being Britain's first nuclear attack early warning station and its signals intelligence collaboration with GCHQ, the UK's government communications headquarters. Even more surprisingly, it's also revealed how Soviet scientists also worked at the site and that the Soviets attempted to get Bernard Lovell to defect during a visit to the Soviet Union. I'm given a tour of the non-public areas by Tim O'Brien, who's a professor of astrophysics. Do make sure you check out the extensive photos I took at coldwarconversations.com slash episode 327. I'm delighted to welcome Professor Tim O'Brien to our Cold War conversation. We'll go down to the very south end of the site here just to see right. where Bernard Lovell first arrived here in 1945. So, uh, Well, these buildings here look very 50s. Uh, yeah, yeah. Prefab. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch. Well, you'll see when we walk through the rest of the site, there's a whole bunch of buildings that were the sort of first permanent buildings here when they realised they weren't leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were, uh, when, they, when Bernard Lovell was given permission by the botany department to bring his uh, army trailers down here in 1945, and he had permission for two weeks. So wow. stay for two weeks and he never left. <laughs> so in about 1948, they thought, oh, well, perhaps we're actually here for a while. So yeah. they, they threw up all these, I guess they look like the sort of buildings you get on airfields and things. Yeah, military. Know, they military look like a military airfield. base That's or something. almost certainly what the design is, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. So Cheap and cheerful. Yeah, just sort of concrete frame yeah. thing. and Some of them are grade two listed now as well. Wow. So. <laughs> Obviously the whole site's a World Heritage Site. Though, uh, but yeah, even before it was a World Heritage Site, we've got, we've got a number of listed buildings. I've driven past it so many times. Right. It's so spectacular just seeing yeah. the, uh, the yeah, level yeah. telescope. Yeah, I know, it's a bit remarkable, isn't it? And you can go, I mean, I live up in the hills over to the 
to the east of here, up in yeah. the peaks, and uh, you can see um, it's the most it's the most obvious most obvious thing in the whole of the uh, in the whole of the Cheshire Plain. You know, yeah. you can sit up, you can stand up on the peaks and look out west, and you've got the flat Cheshire Plain, and then you see the the Welsh mountains on the horizon. You can see the cathedrals in Liverpool, and um, in between there's this white, yeah. <laughs> amazing white structure. Sorry, you might wonder where we're going now. But we're <laughs> squeezing round fences and down a little, down a little track. But basically, this this area here we're in now was the bit that was owned by the University of Manchester before the war, um, right. and was set up as a botany experimental grounds. Basically, so the botany department used to come out here and experiment growing different crops under different conditions and all this sort of thing. Okay. Um, and the two huts that we're approaching now behind this big um i think it's a weeping beach actually behind this uh it's definitely weeping. tree is, yeah uh th these are the the sort of original potting sheds so we call them the botany huts um but they're they're very sort of fundamental to the history of uh of jodrell bank um i'll show you my a picture of them from the day because this is basically where um where bernard lovell uh, arrived at uh, in, so, in December so these of 1945. Were here, uh, when he arrived? These, these were here, sort of yeah, the they were built in the 1930s. They were the only right. buildings on the site. Yeah. These two, same two huts here. Yeah. So basically, you know, during World War II, he, he developed um, radar. He was involved in developing radar. Mm -hmm. So specifically, he developed, uh, he led the team that developed the sort of airborne radar systems with the sort of classic sweeping round sort of cathode ray tube that you see initially for detecting uh, surfaced U-boats which would come up at night to replenish their, their, their air supply and obviously they couldn't see them at night so they had radar to try and get an echo off them on the surface so they did that and then they used them in then in uh, sort of nighttime bombing raids as well over you know over um, continental Europe but um, but he at the end of the war he just came back to the physics department in Manchester um, sort of chucked, <laughs> chucked back into the university system and said, yeah. get on with your life. Um, having, having sort of, you know, done this major work uh, in the war. And, uh, and he thought, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll, I'll carry on what I was doing before, studying cosmic rays, particles that arrive from outer space, coming into the atmosphere. Um, and, he th and then he thought, oh, maybe I can use this radar technology that's mm -hmm. new. Maybe yeah. that can help us in our study of cosmic rays. So he had this kit borrowed these these sort of anti-aircraft radar systems um, from his mates in the army and uh, took it into Manchester, set it up, and his idea was that he could send a radio signal up into the atmosphere and it would reflect back off the off the trail, the, the trail of ions, ionised uh, material in the atmosphere that this cosmic ray would mm -hmm. leave behind it. He uh, set it up in Manchester and it was being ruined by interference, radio interference from trams or trolleybuses maybe, I don't yeah. know, that had like sparking, you know, sparks yeah, yeah. coming out. And that, was, yeah. that basically produced these bursts of radio waves that were just destroying his results. So he's like, well, yeah. where can I go away from the city? <laughs> and then he heard about the botany grounds here and they said, yeah. oh yeah, why don't you take the stuff out there? Yeah. So, so he arrived sort of in, um, I'll show you the picture, he arrived in December of 1945 um, 
So those, this is this is these are the army these are the army trucks sort of yeah. taking them into this muddy field here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these are the two huts, which you can yeah. see at this angle well, to each so other that's, here. Yeah. That's the hut there on the left. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you want to squeeze round here, you can come round and have a look. <clears throat> you can you can almost stand in the same position from yeah. uh, which is fun. But based somewhere over here, roughly, I don't know. You know, so, somewhere yeah, around sort of like a then and now they've, they've added some windows well no they haven't I think yeah. you just can't see them in this that's the sort of view he had so his radar kit was just to the right of the, the huts there um, wow I had this suspicion that the sapling in here might even be this tree <laughs> I'm not sure I can prove that for certain Gosh. but basically there's this is them setting the, the radar yeah, uh, so well, this is an army system. surplus kit it's army surplus kit yeah and you can use. see that you know it's got the camouflage gear on the truck yeah. here and these uh these these two people here are local farmers and these these are all from these guys are all from the army yeah so they came to help and they were sort of pushing it through yeah. the mud yeah. as you can see it's still probably a bit yeah, muddy yeah. now so so he basically that that's you know the origins of Jodrell Banker in mm. the second world war so Lovell did have this you know military connection if you like um from the outset really uh, and they used, they did use lots of um, surplus equipment. So they used to drive around the country in a truck right. and chuck stuff in the back, you know, that would have otherwise been tipped down mine shafts or something, I believe. Yeah. They were getting rid of at the end of the war. Um, so they used to collect loads of stuff, you know, loads of gear, electronics and, you know, equipment, oscilloscopes and whatever they could find um, just to pile up here. But they worked out of these huts for... Um, well, probably certainly into the late 1940s, maybe the early 1950s, they were they were still using some of these huts as like a canteen, and the two, the 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 sort of more permanent concrete huts on the northern part of the site were then built to replace them. So we just walked past a, a, a hut that was the, became the replacement canteen for one of these huts. But these are still here, and we've we've yeah we've renovated them recently. Um, to make sure that they, you know, they're retained as part of our heritage. So they're, they listed these? They're, uh, they're listed as part of, effectively, the World Heritage Site. Because the whole site is listed. Effectively, right. the whole site's grade yeah. one listed now. Because um, yeah. so they look like something you'd see in a prisoner of war camp yeah, or something yeah. like that, aren't they? They are, yeah. Just, but they're just, they were potted, they, you know, they were effectively the potting sheds. So yeah. when he when he arrived in... in, in um, in in nineteen in nineteen forty December well he arrived late November nineteen forty five yeah and he brought the kit here in early December nineteen forty five and so they're and they haven't been used they, they continue to be used by the botany department into the nineteen nineties right think. but they haven't okay. been used since the nineteen nineties so they were they were at risk a little bit so we had a project to just sort of re, you know recover them make sure yeah. the roofs are fixed and they're actually. You know, yeah, they're not in bad nick. A lot neck. of this, you yeah. know, this is original stuff. Yeah, you know, these windows and everything. I mean, considering it's been out in the, no, it's just been out in the in, in the rain of in uh, the balmy weather of yeah, uh, of Cheshire. Cheshire. Yeah, but they're nice. They're nice buildings, and we, you know, we'll over the years we, you know, we bring people down here to have a look at them on tours and things like that. You know, um, we may we may use them for something in the future, but. Uh, at the moment, they're just they're here as a monument almost. To the it's quite side. nice the way that there's almost that air of dereliction around them. You don't want to 
ruin that. It, it makes it more it's, special. There's, there's sort of something interesting in the summer when you, as you walk down this track that we just walked down. This this big weeping beach when it's when it's in leaf, it, it hides them completely. Yeah. So you bring people down, you go, they've no idea where yeah, they're yeah. going. They just and then you sometimes squeeze through these branches here. I yeah. sometimes wander through, and then suddenly they're visible. Yeah. You know. And, and then, wow. you know, like you say, you can show people the old photos and say, well, look, there, there's what it was. So they basically used to come off the road here. Right. The entrance was just, just over there. Okay. Into that site. And this and this area was all it was. Um, so this was all the land they had at that point? This was all the land they had oh, at okay. that point. It was these, these fields here. Right. And then, basically, Lovell, he detected echoes. So they switched on the equipment and they immediately started getting these echoes. And he was like, oh... It's a surprising rate of echoes, you know. Is that, that's not really quite. I didn't expect yeah. quite that many. And then, asking around, there was one. There was another guy who was in the army called Hay, uh, J. S. Hay, who was also did a lot of really good work in, in detecting radio waves from outer space in those days. And he said, "I think what they are actually is tra they're echoes from meteors." Wow. So where shooting stars come through the atmosphere, they leave an ionized trail. So yeah. you get echoes from those as well. So Lovell at that time knew nothing about astronomy and he had to quickly learn astronomy basically <laughs> because he realised he'd got this kit and he could study these meteors and they did. So that was a huge amount of the first part of the work here at Jodrell was using right. radar to study meteors. So that was the discovery of radio astronomy? Well, so, yeah, so the, sub, the subject didn't exist. So there yeah. was no, if you, you sort of search through the history books, you won't find the term radio astronomy being used till about 1948. Right. So before the Second World War, there was a couple of Americans, Carl um, Jansky and then Grote Reaver, who were sort of pioneers of detecting radio waves from outer space. Um, but both of them were, they were effectively radio engineers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but but did some important work, but then effectively the the war got in the way, um, yeah. and their own jobs got in the way. Actually, yeah. you know, they're working for companies um, that that really didn't want them working. You know, getting no. too distracted. So yeah. in the case of Karl Jansky, getting too distracted by uh, by what he was he was working yeah. for Bell Telephone Labs by, by by what he was discovering coming from outer space. So it sort of didn't go anywhere and it almost got reinvented again from scratch yeah. with these people in the in the second world war with the radar work in the second world war there was a group here at Jodrell under Lovell mm. um, there was a group at Cambridge under Martin Ryle um, and there was a group out in Sydney in Australia uh, under people like Boeing and, and, and others Pawsey and people like this but they all sort of came out of the radar work on the sort of allied side yeah <laughs> Um, so they all came out of that military technology came, yeah, work yeah, yeah. and the expertise that they'd picked up exactly. out, out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that sort of all grew up then from 1945 onwards. But then basically when Lovell sort of, well, he sort of realised that um, this was interesting and it was something he wasn't expecting, but he also realised that when he was working out this idea about getting echoes off cosmic rays, he... Uh, he decided. He, he he sort of realised that the he'd done a mistake in his calculations, <laughs> and the signal, the echo he would have got from a cosmic ray trail was far weaker than he'd predicted by a factor of several thousand. <laughs> and so he would never have detected it. Well, walk round here. Actually, I, I think we'll be okay. 
this mm. radar kit. It was too small yeah. to detect the weak signal. So he decided he had to build a really big, big aerial. Um, so he came north, where we are now, a bit north of the, right. of the Botany Grounds, which, which finished there. And he came into this field. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, and basically in this field, in this area here, uh, he ended up building what was at the time, he didn't realise it, but was at the time the world's biggest radio telescope. It was a fixed uh, ball uh, sort of, of steel wires, cables, um, and scaffolding poles. And so he basically made a big circle that filled this whole area all the way around, all the way around here to the edge of roughly where that building is and over to the scaffolding poles and then wires hanging in it and then wires going round and round and there was him another guy called John Clegg he got the family involved the kids used to come at the weekend and twist wires together and stuff and they built this thing that was 218 feet in diameter a big sort of ball pointing straight upwards effectively the sort of edges of it were as high as they could reach with the ladders that they happened right. to have. So it wasn't, and how is he was financing very, this? It, so this was this was that was done with just very limited, incredibly limited funds. Mm. So just from the university, um, that that particular project. So there was no uh, external funding involved at all initially. The only bit that they and it was the first grant, sort of government grant, effectively research grant that he got, was for the the pole that was in the middle so you imagine this big ball sitting there radio waves come from above and they reflect off this ball and they're gathered together at a focus yeah and that focus has to be on the top of a big long pole in the right. middle yeah so he actually got the money to get a, the yeah. materials to build a strong enough pole right. <laughs> so that was his first grant and then with then the the radio aerial at the top that was the receiver but yeah the biggest telescope in the world at the time it's called the transit telescope because he wanted to detect cosmic rays, um, he still didn't detect cosmic rays. In fact, John, we never detected that cosmic, <laughs> cosmic rays. It was the main thing he was interested in, but we never did it. But he, what they did uh, see with that was the sort of uh, the radio waves just coming from the universe. So they weren't echoes, they weren't radar echoes coming back. They were just being generated out in space yeah. and they were arriving. So you could see the... The, 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 you know, the stuff between the stars in the Milky Way is a big bright sort of stripe across the sky and they started picking up these very strong sort of point sources that they called radio stars originally which were, you know, light stars in the radio sky mm. that they had no idea what they were and they had no counterpart in the visible sky so mm. they were very strange things yeah. and we now know that they a lot of those are the quasars the sort of distant galaxies powered by supermassive black holes but there was, that was all a whole pioneering discovery thing. Yeah. And as soon as he'd done that, I mean, well, we, are you happy to walk yeah, around? Yeah, just yeah, to, no, I'm fine. As soon as he'd done that, he, um, he thought, oh, actually, <laughs> and he was persuaded <laughs> by others. There was another guy called Hanbury, Robert Hanbury Brown, who was also an ex-radar person who joined him by then, uh, persuaded by, these, by this discovery and by these other people that this was the big thing. This is what yeah. we now know as radio astronomy. 
and so what he, the limitation of this device that was here and there are a few there's little remnant I won't go and show you yeah. but there's little if you wander around there's little bits of concrete dotted around you know you can right. find it in the ground that are yeah. the remnants of it and there's also well, we did a resistivity survey and you can see the cable runs under the ground here from this uh, so it's sort of like by accident then so it's totally by accident there's loads of accidents in the history yeah. of Dr. Bang he, yeah. he you know he, to be honest if he'd for example if he'd realized that he'd made a mistake of several thousand in his calculation he would never have come here to try yeah. and do the work with the radar equipment. So, so General Bank would never have existed if it weren't for him making that error. Yeah. His excuse was that they would be machine gunned by German um, <laughs> fighters <laughs> at the time, which just wasn't a reasonable excuse. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. It's more than, as excuses it's, go, it's, that's a pretty It's better than most one. people's excuses yeah. for a calculator error. But anyway, he, uh, yeah, he, he, he sort of thought, okay, this is great, you know, this is interesting stuff. Nobody knows what it is, this radio, where these radio waves are coming from. The limitation of that big instrument was that it didn't, uh, it didn't steer. Yeah, so it only looks so. It's just up on a fixed mount. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The ball just sat sat there. All you could do is you could tip the pole a little bit, which effectively points in slightly different directions. But you couldn't tip, you couldn't go right over because you quickly lose a signal. So you could. So if you can imagine here where we are now, I'm sort of looking west now. Mm. Uh, and east over here so obviously as the earth rotates the sky everything in the sky moves round east east to west above us so it effectively could see a sort of stripe of sky that goes overhead yeah but everything over there and everything over yeah. there most of the sky they couldn't yeah. observe so he needed something he could tip um and he he um, and even with the seasons and the different times of year you wouldn't see different sky it's no, still the same no, it's the same yeah same strip yeah right. So, so you're. Um, I mean, basically, if you think about the Earth, uh, you know, sitting there with its axis spinning, spinning like that, it just yeah. spins like that. Yeah. And okay, it goes around the sun, but yeah. that that thing yeah. stays the same. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just this one strip yeah. around the yeah. sphere that you, you can see. Tell I'm not a scientist. No, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, so, so that was why he wanted to build what became the Lovell yeah. telescope, which is there now, because that the power of that is one is it's big, so it's 250 feet in old money 76 meters right. in diameter the ball so big even bigger than the one they originally built here um, but but the power being that it can tip right down to the horizon and it can turn traverse, all the way around yeah. so it can see the whole of the visible sky um so a very powerful instrument and in fact so so powerful that it's still you know the third biggest uh steerable telescope in the world today wow so you know when it was built in the 50s it was the biggest uh, so it was a quite a remarkable achievement and at that point you know you, your question you know funding wise then yeah you do need some significant funding then. yeah and he did have to get government grants and it was a major it was a major problem um because their original cost estimate was about hundred and twenty thousand pounds in money of the day and that would have been in you know around about 1950 or so 1951 they put that together it ended up costing about seven fifty thousand so wow. it, went, it was a factor six or seven times yeah. more expensive than what they originally predicted, which, you know, we're used to that these days. Well, yeah, <laughs> Big yeah, you think HS2, that's <laughs> yeah, probably... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, but, uh, yeah. But again, I mean, th this was almost made out of recycled materials and stuff like that, because I heard, I, mm. I read somewhere they used some of the turret traverse mechanisms from former 
yeah. World War One, World War yeah. Two battleships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see them from here. Actually, it's, it's on the towers at the sides. So yeah. look at that right hand oh, yeah. tower going up. Yeah. The, the thing more, on the, the, the end that, yeah, next to the tower. Yeah. So the left hand edge of that tower at the top yeah. edge, the, you're seeing edge on a disc. Yeah. Can you see that yeah, sort yeah. of thin white? Yeah. That's, the, that's an edge on. Inside that are those gear racks. So the mortar's in the top of the tower, right. and, it, and it has a pinion that goes into the rack that turns and that tips the telescope. So wow. inside though, there are indeed the the, uh, the 15 inch gun turret uh, gear racks from two World War One battleships. Wow. HMS uh, Revenge and HMS Royal Sovereign, which were scrapped at the end of the Second World War. Yeah. One of them was in the Battle of Jutland, um, but I can't remember which one there. But, but yeah, we've still got them in there. We've got about 100 years of spurs, according to our engineers. <laughs> Occasionally you get a crack and, they have to, and we've got a whole pile of replacements so they can cut a bit out, take a bit out, replace it with what, another bits bit. bits from, still from Royal yeah. Sovereign and yeah, yeah. Revenge? Yeah, stacked up in one of our store huts, yeah. So it's... Wow. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? It was good quality steel, apparently. Well, it was pre-nuclear <laughs> weapons as well, wasn't it? So yeah. So it wasn't the... Yeah, no, so it was, yeah, it was better better stuff but but yeah the engineer Charles husband who uh, who designed it and built it took, uh, he heard about these things being broken up and just went up to this Scottish uh, shipyard and and uh, collected the bits and brought them back down so <laughs> yeah there was a lot of there's a whole history of make do and mend which you know we still we still continue today we always yeah. we always do we do as much as we can for as little expense as we can. So, uh, but yeah, so that, 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 um, we perhaps, perhaps carry on walking. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're walking around the, we're rock, walking around the perimeter of what we grandly call the green, <laughs> um, which is this green space in the middle of the site and still used today for the purposes it was always used for, um, which is to do random experiments. So there's a whole bunch of, antennas in front of you that were a student experiment um there's a there's another sort of thing over there behind that uh you, you probably can't tell what's going on but there's a there's a structure that's called a, a it's a screen it's got mesh yeah, on it i can see it and it's screening an instrument that's in behind the tarpaulin behind it right. which is a new telescope that's been just built and tested at the moment that will eventually go to south america somewhere um and having and having said that, the little pile of slightly rusty-looking material in the middle there is the base of the the earliest radio telescope equipment we have on site, which is it's the bottom part of a World War Two searchlight. And what they did again, they persuaded the army to lend it to them. Never gave it back, <laughs> as you can see. Yeah, um, but they borrowed it. Uh, and they effectively, all they wanted it for was because it, it was on a mount that would turn yeah. and tip. Um, and so they strapped a lot of scaffolding poles to it, wired it up, basically made it a mount for a huge sort of radar aerial. And they used to use that to study those, the meteor showers. 1946 that arrived on site. Um, and those are the remains. We've just been looking after them wow. recently. So they were inside a big Can I go and pile just take a, a, a quick I just look? want to yeah. have a quick look at that and take a photo. Yeah. No, so they, 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 they'd not been used. The mount carried on being used till probably late 1970s, maybe early 80s, just for the same purpose. Wanted to just, they just sit something on it. We might have to negotiate. Yeah. 
muddy sections of ground, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, don't worry. It's sort of nice to have. Well, it's definitely seen better days, isn't it? It has seen better days, yeah. <laughs> It is actually a real instrument and it is the earliest, it's, wow. the, it's the only remains we have of the earliest instrument on the site. So this is, you can see it was on a trailer yeah. originally and that's the turntable in the middle that they yeah, rotated yeah. on. That's incredible. So it's been mounted into the ground, into concrete blocks yeah. to hold it. But basically it was quite a big, it was quite a big instrument with these big sort of scaffolding arms sticking out the side and they basically pushed it around and pointed it in different right. directions so they could check the echoes from meteors coming in from different directions. There's all these concrete troughs that used to have cable runs running in them and so on. So this whole field, this whole area was sort of, in the history of the site, it's always been used for this sort of thing. To be honest, it's one of the attributes of this place as a World Heritage Site now. You sort of decide what the attributes of your site are and and some of the attributes of the big telescopes. Yeah. Other attributes are the way these buildings, you can see them now that these cream buildings with the blue doors are dotted around the, the edges of this green. This is where the astronomers moved to this field in 1946 when they sort of outgrew the botany ground. They moved right. north and came into this field and then into this field. Yeah. And, and this was the heart of the... Yeah site until the Lovell telescope was completed. So, in, in so was this 1950s. land owned by the university no, then? They bought so it. they had to buy it from yeah, the farm, yeah, yeah. farmer? Yeah. There is a story, and I can't, I can't check now because the burner's no longer with us, that he basically just you know, would, would go in the field, have a chat with the farmer and start pouring concrete and then negotiate the university buying it <laughs> off them. So um, no, it sounds like him, Brilliant. to be honest. But, uh, Brilliant. Yeah. He was then an interesting a... character. He wouldn't let things stand in his way. Yeah. And my feeling is he got that. Maybe he was always like that. But certainly, I think during the war, during the Second World War, he. Uh, you couldn't imagine being in charge of something that was a major project involving the defence of the whole country. He got used to getting the things he yeah. wanted. Yeah, it's of national importance, yeah, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. uh, and if he just says, I think this is important, I'm going to have it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really mind what you say, I'm going to do yeah. it anyway. Wow. But um, we'll, we'll, cut, yeah. we'll cut just over here, actually, if we can avoid the the puddles. Um, yeah, you told this funny story where you said, you said when you know, it was one week towards the end of the war where you said, I could, I could ring up and order two Lancaster bombers and then the next week when he was in the physics department back in Manchester, he couldn't even get a screwdriver from the stores. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit of a shock yeah, to the system, yeah. I think. So the, the radar system he was working yeah. on during the war, was it the ground-facing sort of like navigation radar as yeah. well? Yeah, yeah. That H was H H2S. H2S. Right. So he, he was the team leader for H2S. Okay, yeah. okay. Because that's really... I mean, because that then evolved further post-war. Yeah. And... Um, uh, sort of successor to that system that's in like the Vulcan bomber right. in the 1960s right. and right, 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 and 70s. No, so they used, yeah, they, they so they did a number of different developments. I mean, you, may, you probably know more about it than me. He's written a good book called The Echoes of War. Yeah, I mean, he used to write he writes very detailed books, level, so they're all based on his diaries. And, but it tells the story of everything that happened and all the different yeah. developments going to different frequencies of operation. Mounting it in different ways and all this sort of stuff, you know, that they were just, you know, obviously making it up as they went along because they, yeah. as quickly as they could, basically. Well, it was brand new technology at yeah, the yeah. time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? of course, so. yeah. No, everything, everything was, everything was new. So, so these huts were like these huts had different research groups in them, 
and they were all named according to their um, the group that worked in them. So the one the, the hut here is called Moon Hut, still called Moon Hut, because the people that worked in there used to use radar to study the moon. Right. So they would bounce radio waves off the moon and then look yeah. at the quality of the signal received and it would tell them something about the moon's mm -hmm. properties and surface. And they, obviously this was began before the moon landings. Yeah. Um, whereas the hut we're standing next to here is, is the Radiant Hut, because it was where the Meteor Research Group worked. And if you know anything about meteor showers, you may have heard of things like the Perseids or the Geminids. Yeah. So they, when, when the meteors, when we run through this cloud, of, the Earth moves through this cloud of dust left behind by a comet or an asteroid or something, then the, the sort of relative velocity of the, the Earth and the, the meteors means they all, just in a perspective effect, like railway lines all meeting at a point as you look along them to, into the distance. Um, all the meteor trails all appear to go back to a point right. and that point on the sky is in a particular constellation and that's yeah. what gives them the name but that right. so the Geminids come from a point in Gemini Perseids in a point in Perseus and so on but but this that point is called the radiant that they all radiate from so this is so radiant, this is radiant. Um, <laughs> so so it was uh, it's sort of it's that, that one those cos cosmic noise hut because the, the people that worked in there I said early on they were all using radar. Then they realised there was these radio waves arriving anyway that were not we'd not generated and bounced off something. And so that was called cosmic noise. It was cosmic noise in the radio that yeah. was coming from space. So that's quite an evocatively named hut. Sounds a great name for a band. I, 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 thing, isn't I it? must 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 have a band called that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it'd be a great thing to do. Lovell, Lovell's office and the sort of main offices were in that one over there in that hut over there um and there was a workshop in that one when there still is a workshop there uh but uh but then when they built the big Lovell telescope they um they moved the main offices over there and we'll go and have a look in there in a minute welcome to another round of boardroom or miro board today we talk retrospectives with agile coach maria let's go first question you've spent two hours in a team retro but the only input you've heard is dave's boardroom or mirror board boardroom in miro dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously online at the same time correct next you need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. I mean, just while I'm here, um, I mean, for the benefit of your, your no, recording, no, no, go on. just because we're standing next to an interesting place. Um, while the Lovell Telescope was being built, there were sort of secret conversations between Lovell and some people in the military uh, that he had those connections anyway about whether they might be able to use it um, with a radar on it in order to detect... Uh, aircraft or whatever, right? Mm. And of course, he was involved in radar during the war. You yeah. might have expected him to think about that. Um, and they did provide some funding, actually, to let it work at a shorter wavelength than it was originally designed to. So they put a solid surface on 
um, that means it can work at a, a shorter wavelength, which is going to be useful to them for the radar work, as well as for some science as well, uh, for the hydrogen line in outer space. But, um, but that connection eventually led in during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, it led to this telescope being on standby as the early warning radar system for missile attack during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So they had, um, they basically trained some RAF personnel to drive the telescope and to operate radar kit um, and, you know, point the telescope east. Yeah. And they knew, they, knew where the, they knew where the launch sites were from intelligence right. agents. Um, so they knew where to roughly point the telescope and then obviously it would give them however many minutes warning that there was something coming and um, you know if you if you if you hear this story that story was came became public a few years ago now when the materials became public in the National Archives Bernard Lovell and Graham Smith who's the director after after Sir Bernard Sir, Sir Francis Graham Smith to give him his full title um, they wrote a little paper about it called diversions of a radio telescope <laughs> um, but uh, they you know Lovell when he would tell that story would always say it was designed to give this you know whatever it was seven minute warning or something yeah. that would p potentially have saved millions of lives in London and of course Simon who's my colleague is the the other, one of the other associate directors here in charge of the observatory would say, well, you know, you can look through the papers and you can read about what would have happened if they detected, us, detected yeah. an echo and they wouldn't have been serving a million lives in London. No. What they would have been doing is launching the Vulcan bombers. Exactly, to incinerate to, the to, Soviet to, Union. To incinerate and, and therefore, you know, do the mutually assured yeah, destruction exactly. thing. So it wasn't about getting... No. I think Lovell was probably saying these things for almost, you know, for public consumption, if you like. But yeah. it wasn't about getting people into maybe a few people into bunkers, but yeah. certainly not millions of yeah. people. So it was just it was for that reason. I mean, so we got we got like all the records of we got all the log books that that have the telescope log that show you the days in the in in the in the months leading up to the you know the the weekend of the the ultimate yeah, weekend of the Cuban Saturday Missile Crisis. So we got all the records that show that sure enough there were RAF people. Says in the logbook RAF for yeah. example, um, that they were here testing out the radar and they tested it on things, maybe a Canberra or something, right, okay. flying overhead. Yeah. It yeah. was one of the first tests they did just to show they could detect something. Um, but they would detect, you know, they'd be trying to detect at really long range. Yeah, yeah, though. the range was about was about okay. They, they did detect, but, but it was on the, it was on the hurry edge of <laughs> detectability. Yeah. And it's not, and, and there are rec there is dis there are discussions there are documents in the archives that say they weren't really sure you know how much convinced they could be by it would they be convinced enough to launch for exactly bombers? I mean wasn't there a danger of a false positive <laughs> absolutely and no we, we we've been through the records we've looked at that weekend there's no evidence that on that weekend they came and they got set up and they took control and they right. were ready and uh, again you know. Simon's research and others, I'm sure, know yeah. you may know a lot more about it than me. But um, the, you know, the idea at that at that point, the the main aim was to reduce tension, not mm. to increase it. And so, the idea that they would have actually done anything—it's probably probably the case that they wouldn't have actually done anything. It's probably, to be I honest. mean, potentially looking at having something so they're not completely reliant on the Americans to let yeah. them know. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. a some some other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, Filingdales was... Um, the workers were on strike, weren't they, at Filingdales? Right. I didn't think it was operational then. No, so it wasn't. No, so, yeah. so they hadn't finished building yeah, yeah. it, basically. So that, right. that was why... Um, that was why. I'm just going to show you. So Jodrell Bank was effectively Britain's first early warning yes. system for nuclear yes. attack. Yes. Again, yeah. by chance. By I mean, <laughs> we, yeah, we, I mean, we got... I mean, this is level. Yeah. And late, late 1950s, he said, um, um, is there any chance that we could make use of your telescope? And I said, why? He said, well, Filingdale's the ballistic missile early warning station, is hindered by strikes. And... Um, if we have your permission, we'd like to use your telescope instead until it's available. This is a picture from, this is sort of the rough range that we would have, okay. you know, so it, it reached the sort of... The Urals, the, the, maybe? The, yeah, well... It's well part, no, it's sort so of, they had sites here, apparently, in, right. you know, around uh, Latvia and Lithuania, yeah. places like, you know, okay. in that sort of part of the USSR, mm. I think. Um this is ready. This is ready, and we're we're standing in front of now. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so, so that's that's ready, and look, it's exactly yeah. the same. And there's the level telescope over there. These are some of the aerials I was talking about. Um, but basically, inside, inside, literally through this window here, um, were these two uh, radar consoles. So this is the type that was used. This is not a photo of the ones in here. But there's these console type 61s. So this is where the RAF. This is where the been, RAF would sat would have been in using this room. Radiant yeah. Hut, sitting yeah. in this yeah. room, yeah. looking out yeah. for. And two, two, or two operators, I think, for redundancy, wow. checking up on each other and so on. But those were installed in this, in this room, and the, and the, the sort of <laughs> the really funny thing, <laughs> the really funny story. This is this is again from the National Archives. Um, this is a map of the site, so it says yeah. entrance to Jodrell Bank, which is where we came in down here. It says RAF Jodrell Bank, and you can see it's in this corner <laughs> of this thing here, and then it goes yeah. round, and there's the control building over there and the telescope. Yeah. But then this is a sketch of this building. It says here, RAF room, say, console, wow. console. And then, interestingly, it says workshop in which Russian students work here. <laughs> and it says, this wall soundproofed, this wall not soundproofed yet. Brilliant. And basically, but, these two guys, these two guys, they're not actually Russian, they're Armenian, yeah. but right, uh, okay. Soviet. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were there, they were here at the time because Lovell and others collaborated with Soviet scientists on astronomy. And these two guys were visiting um, to work with Lovell on radio emission from stars, um, Paris Haruni and Krant Tovmasian. Um, and they were in there. Brilliant. <laughs> From the Soviet Union. At, during the Cuban Missile Based Crisis. On. Right through that period. Right next door to where... The, and there's the, a hilarious thing about this wall soundproof, this wall not soundproof. Yeah. Which sort of makes you think... You know, it's, it's almost... Couldn't quite make it up, could you? So the console... <laughs> so the consoles were facing that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And underneath each of these, yeah. these windows around here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think they were... I think it's so it says here on this thing window yeah. windows covered with black opaque okay. material. Right. Okay. So these two, so the these Armenians two. couldn't see one they were going off to their lunch break yeah, exactly. what was going yeah. on in there. So, so so they were sat inside there in front the those the look at looking at the consoles that way yeah. Excellent. Isn't it amazing? That is great. I know and, and it definitely was the case. I spoke to a there's a colleague who's not with us anymore but uh he was the sort of secret he was charged, he was the technical person who was allowed to know about secret stuff. Uh, so he confirmed, I checked with him 
that it was indeed this hut uh, because the the map only shows one hut and yeah. we weren't sure if it was that one or that one yeah but he's confirmed it was definitely it's definitely this one um he used to go in with them and help them set stuff up and whatever but but yeah. basically they they certainly tested it they trained them right for months beforehand i can't remember when it started a year before or i don't know when it started sometime quite a while before but no evidence that they ever did anything right around the peak yeah crisis time and like you say all those questions about would they have believed it if they'd got an echo yeah, was yeah. it just above the noise i think they were worrying about whether things were just above the noise yeah. level and would you seriously launch a yeah. nuclear attack on the Soviet Union on the basis Based of on. a bit of extra stuff above the noise in yeah. this one thing? Luckily, it never got to that. So. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. But it, I, let but, me take, uh, yeah, I'll but take it, a photo I'll show of it, Radiant. Have, no. If you want to... Well, take a photo of the hut with the yeah. telescope behind. That's probably a good idea, isn't it? That's what I wanna... Sorry, I jumped ahead in the no, story no, no, slightly no. there, but... No. It's it an opportunity was, to walk Well, around. absolutely, to... to you know, give the the history. I mean, the other the other thing that's going to be in your shot now these days, of course, is the if you decide to put it in, is the SKAO Global Headquarters there. And what does that acronym? That's a, it stands stand for Square for? Kilometer Array Observatory, which is a big new radio telescope that's been right. built in South Africa and Australia, but the international headquarters is here. So this is a new building here. So it's historic. Historically, this was just a field. Right. In my in my memory, just, um, uh, if you wanted to go in the building, we could. But there's not. No, it's all right. It's just a, it's a storeroom at it's the moment. Just, uh, you can see people storing various things in there. Get my reflection in there if you're yeah. not careful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a little bit of Brilliant. Cold War history. Oh no, isn't that, it? I love I love that. <laughs> that that's the sort of stuff I love. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. you know top secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got two Russians next door. Well, look, it was Simon, we... it was Simon, Simon found that document in the archives. He went down to Kew to look in the, the archives and uh, they were sort of inventing this as they went along. And it's like th that whole thing about the Soviets coming here is, an interest, is a whole interesting story of General Bank and the Cold War because, of course, you know, obviously we're on the Western side, if you like, um, but on the other hand, we did sort of sit between the USA and the, so in, and the Soviet Union in this almost neutral position where both sides used to use the, the telescope, because it was the biggest telescope in the world when it was built, to track the spacecraft. Yeah, um, I mean, it's one of those few areas of the Cold War where there was a degree of collaboration yeah. in a you know the yeah. scientific yeah, yeah. Um, sphere because well, I think what well, was it true that the Soviets really wanted it to just to prove that they weren't lying I that think they so. were yeah yeah because yeah. I mean, what they were they up could, to the Americans if they wanted to and some of them did would just denied that they were capable of doing these things that they claimed they were doing um, whereas so they so I mean just to go back to the <laughs> go back to the story we'll go in the building in a minute um, but we're in front of the control building now so the brick the brick bit of the building yeah. was built at the same time as the the big Lovell telescope behind it, the Mark, well, it was known as the 250-foot telescope when it was first built, um, now the Lovell telescope. Uh, so it was designed all about housing the control room for that telescope. Just coincidentally, the very first thing it did, pretty much, was to be fitted with a radar 
borrowing one of the radar kits off the Meteor group, just in the hook back there, take it, fit it on the telescope and they used it to get a radar echo from the, the rocket that carried Sputnik 1 into space in October 57. And that was motivated again by the a government connection who got hold of Lovell and said, could you try and get an echo off the carrier rocket? Um, the reason being it was a it was the same rocket that carried the ICBM the, the ICBMs. Yeah. Um, so it was like, well, then that links, you know, to this. So then story. they'd have a radar signature of what one of these looked like, and they would know uh, that they could also, in principle, they could provide an early warning detection of such a yeah such a missile at some point. So that was why they did that particular. It wasn't anything to do with. Sputnik itself because you could pick up the Sputnik signal with a little radio receiver and in fact you could see I believe the carrier rocket you could see with the naked eye just like you can see the International Space Station reflecting sunlight you could see the carrier rocket as a a bright point of light going over well just it orbited the earth for a while before it burnt up so you could see it going over but demonstrating that you could use a radar to detect a missile effectively Um, and then the next bit of the story <laughs> follows on from that, really, which was a, a bit of the story that we only um, we only became aware of very recently, or at least had confirmed, which was that for years, for as long as I've known, and there was always a rumour that the, the the men from Cheltenham were involved. Right, so GCHQ. GCHQ, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, they used to, you know, the story was that these people would arrive and they would go upstairs here into the control building. You know, was it? And it was a rumour. Mm. Nobody ever, nobody had it confirmed. Hello, I'm Craig Donald from Aberdeen, and I support Cold War Conversations with a monthly donation because it marries interesting historical content with fantastic storytelling. Ian is a great gift as an interviewer. He knows his subject so that the conversations are meaningful but he also allows guests to tell their own story. Cold War Conversations is part of my weekly routine, and I would urge you to make it part of yours. Want to be like Craig and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War? As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free. You'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more or follow the link in the episode information. When we were designing our new um, exhibition in the new building in the visitor facility up, the, up to the north here, um, I decided I ought to try and find out whether this was true or not. Mm. So I thought, well, OK, I need to get a hold of GCHQ. How do you get a hold of GCHQ? I'll go on the website and um, I couldn't see a contact telephone number. But there was a, there was a web form. You could fill in a yeah. web form with questions. And I went, oh, OK. So I put myself down. I think maybe I put media. Well, I don't know what the options were now. Maybe I said media as a press. And I just said, oh, hello, I'm, I work at Jodrell Bank and we're doing an exhibition. I've heard rumours that GCHQ used to work with Jodrell Bank. I don't know whether they're true or not. Could somebody get in touch? If yeah. And then the historian at GCHQ indeed got in touch. Uh, and so we've worked with him on sort of uncovering some of the stories and uh, they were able to speak to a colleague here who is no longer with us, who was the technician in charge of the working with, uh, working with them, Bob Pritchard, uh, from the early 60s onwards. 
and uh, they had a chat to him actually before he died and said look it's okay you can talk about this stuff now because he he would never he would he never would, he'd sign the act he'd signed the act yeah he got his dog licenses how you referred to it <laughs> <laughs> and uh and he would be very he would never he would he would tell you so much and then he would yeah. just sort of deny <laughs> deny doing anything else he sort of suspected there was more to it but but yeah sure enough so in fact what we didn't know and it, I'm not even sure whether Bob knew this, um, but David Abertat, who's the GCHU historian now, um, f- confirmed this from their archives, from their records, that uh, as soon as Sputnik was launched, they actually posted a member of GCHQ to here, to Jodrell Bank, which I suppose now you think back on it, you think, well, maybe that's obvious. Yeah. But they, they posted someone here and then continued that um, that connection right throughout, yeah. well... We don't really know when, I don't know when it ended. Yeah. Almost certainly well into the 1980s. But it wasn't obvious this person was working for GCHQ. They had I assume, some other role I assume not. They must have had the... some, I need to find out more. We're going we're yeah. to look in more yeah. into it's it. one if, of the cleaners or something. Was, you know, well, it's perhaps not that sort of <laughs> subterfuge. But. Certainly only about three people here would have known. Yeah. Maybe even fewer than that. Yeah. Lovell would have known. Yeah. Um, possibly his deputy, which is a guy called J.G. Davis, I think, was also knew about these things. And then Bob didn't arrive till the early 60s, so he wasn't here in 57, so he wasn't involved. So maybe it was only those two. So they must have given him some job, a technical job, because yeah, he, yeah. he went on the telescope and right. things. But, yeah. but he was basically, you know, the, what they were interested in was seeing what the Soviets were doing. Obviously, their job is to intercept communications, uh, and that's what we did, and we did it for for decades, right through into the 1980s, judging by some of the photos we've seen. Right. So we then move into the main control building for the telescope. I'll go down there in a minute. Okay. We've got a colleague. We're just discussing the history of the Cold War oh, right, yeah. on a podcast. Yeah, right. So whether you'll feature on the recording we're doing at the moment, I don't know. How are you? Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> We'll cut you. We'll cut you out if you yeah. say anything controversial. Fine, thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> My listeners will be delighted. And you're not doing anything <laughs> secret. No, 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 no. No, we won't tell them about the alien or the red telephone. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I used to make up this story that we used to have a secret alien holding facility in the basement. Brilliant. And then I and then I started worrying that some people in the talks were uh, actually thinking, no, maybe that maybe it's just a double bluff. That's, yeah. Maybe they do have a secret alien holding facility. Let me just see if I can find what I was going to show you. Yeah, so this uh, this sort of history of this link to GCHQ, mm. this is this is the person that uh, was stationed here, but this is a photo taken clearly much later, <laughs> at least the 1980s, possibly the early 90s, judging by the clothes, yeah. but of... Um, GCHQ people upstairs. We'll go upstairs and have a look in a minute. So basically, this was the this was the stated mission: intercept signals from Soviet reconnaissance satellites, orbital weapons, and space probes. Yes. And apparently, Jodrell Bank was given a a GCHQ station number, so it was treated as a GCHQ listening station. But they were after. They were after signals intelligence, so it's SIGIN. Sig- sig- yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were intercepting signals. Yeah. yeah. So they were. Um, so from radar installations in the Soviet Union. So, so yeah, primarily, um, I, I think in the end, mainly transmissions from the spacecraft. 
Okay. So they would have a listening station. There was one that I don't remember the name of now, almost directly south of the launch sites. So whether it was in Turkey or somewhere over there, basically on an allied sort of friendly side, if yeah. you like, they would know when the uh, launch happened. Right. And then they would communicate that back yeah. to here so we would be ready to listen out or... So you're listening signals. to the communications from their ground yeah. control yeah. to the... So both voice communications and um, if, if they were if there was any people on board yeah. eventually, but initially it would have just yeah. been telemetry. Right, diagnostic. Uh, data. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. the, and obviously I think the aim was just to find out what they were doing, what they were yeah. up to, what their capabilities, the technological uh, level was and yeah. so on. Um, so, but then, but, but, you know, various bits of that story became, um, became known. I mean, this is, this is a sort of press photo of, of the three people that I'm aware of that knew yeah. what was going on <laughs> secretly. So Bernard Lovell, J.G. Davis, his deputy, and Bob yeah. Pritchard uh, sitting in front of equipment up in, up in Lab 5, which we can go and have a look at in a minute, which was effectively the secret space tracking lab. But that's a press photo, 1967, and it's when the Soviets had a space probe that went into the atmosphere of Venus, and we tracked it. So some of these missions that became publicly known, it was aware that Jodrell Bank was tracking them. Yeah. Of course, it was never mentioned why. It was yeah. just because we were interested in yeah, Venus yeah. and whatever. But yeah. in fact, in reality, alongside these people, but not in the photograph, yeah, yeah. would have been people from GCHQ. And they recorded the signals and they were immediately dispatched um, to, to, to GCHQ and to US intelligence agency as well. Um, so, I'll, um, let me just yeah. let me just go and have a, let's go and have a look at Lab Five, okay. if you like. Yeah. So this is all the original building, sort of nineteen fifties. It's a lovely nineteen fifties vibe yep. to it. it. It has. We like it. It's got lovely banisters. I like these wooden banisters. <laughs> yep. Hello. I'm not disturbing you at all. I hope I'm just showing someone round. This is Lab Five. Right. So this is where this photo was taken. Yeah. Poss possibly that we're not quite sure exactly where in this room it was yeah. where this equipment was. Um, but the but this behind here blocked off now because there's a false ceiling below it, a windows down into the control room. So you can see, for example, um, if you have uh, someone like this, <laughs> this is uh, this is Alamasevich and her colleague, Julie Kodorev, visiting in 1961. And they were trying to pick up signals from a spacecraft that the Soviets had sent to Venus and had lost. So they visited here and sat in this room. And you see these windows? Yeah. They looked down. In, that's the control room below the... Oh, okay. So that picture must have been taken just at the end of yeah. this room here. So this is where all this work would have happened. But here's, you know, there's another, we'll, we'll just nip downstairs. That's another, that's another example of, of where there were Soviets coming to work with the scientists here yeah. for scientific reasons. But at the same time, they would have come with a KGB. Well, finder. yeah, with a, yeah. You and know, a shopping and, list of, and, can you and, try and find and, out and, about yeah, this, exactly. this and this? And, 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 and the thing is with that, vice versa, you know, visits, the other way happened as well. Yeah. So there's a famous visit of Lovell to the Soviet Union in 1963. He went a number of times, but famous one in 1963, sort of following these visits from Misevich, where 
he was invited back and, you know, he was visiting various places, including the people who'd been working with, you know, on, on his research work. But then when he arrived, so, so basically said, OK, we're, we're going to we change the plans. We're going to take you to this place in Crimea, which is on the coast in Crimea, coast of the Black Sea in Crimea, um, which was basically their secret tracking facility. So they showed him around this place, which is the top secret facility. And Lovell was a bit, why are they showing me around this place? Um, lineups of people to meet him and all this. And then when he got back from that, they basically tried to persuade him to stay. Right. So it was like... So you know, it was like an offer for... It, it was an, it was an offer for to him get to, to defect. defect. Exactly, yeah. So, so they said to him, you know, what, what are your plans? And he said, oh, I'm currently designing a much bigger telescope than the one we have to be sighted in North Wales and whatever. And they said, oh, how much will that cost, do you think? He says, oh, maybe 10 million or something. And, he said, and they said, oh, don't worry, money's no object. That, that might even be an annual budget. Yeah, stay here and we'll build it. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and his, his famous phrase was, he said, he said, I'm an Englishman and I want to return to England. Brilliant. Um, but, and they did, you know, he did. They let him out, but he was very, very well aware on that visit. There were other people there who were not allowed out, definitely not. Yeah. And there were people coming to him privately at parties while he was there, yeah. begging him to see if he could get a word in to let so-and-so get out of the Soviet Union. So he was very aware it was a serious situation. And in fact, when he came back, he was very ill. And he'd had a debriefing meeting with intelligence agents here after he got back, and they, they said to him, oh, well, it's possible they've maybe tried to poison you. That's what's made you ill. Maybe they're trying to remove your memory of showing you these things. And he sort of, he brought this up in much later life, actually, and uh, it became a sort of news story. It was in the news here and stuff. Bernard Lovell poisoned, and... Um, I think they were talking about maybe irradiating him with microwave radiation or something with these very strong radar transmitters or something. But it doesn't really... We all talked about you know him and his son, and we've, we've talked about it, and I'm not sure it really rings true. He, he had a diary where he'd written down all the details of what he'd seen, and he was allowed... He brought the diary home. And surely and <laughs> him, him, he was of value to them... Anywhere, here, here as anywhere. well, yeah. So you know, even if he hadn't have stayed. So we're not convinced that the poisoning story holds water, but it's certainly true that he was trying to persuade him to defect, and yeah. it's certainly true that he got very stressed and worried about it, and that's probably what made him ill, yeah. is the pressure and the stress of that whole situation. And of course, that's 1963. That was just after the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? In October 62, when. Yeah. You know, they, they must have known, of course. Yeah. They presumably knew that Chadrill was an early yeah. warning system. I'd sort of be surprised that they didn't have... Well, they, chances are they had people in GCHQ <laughs> who were you know. feeding some information back. So it's all that game of yeah. what, 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 what each other knew. So he, he, um, it was, would have been a very strange time. But they, uh, yeah, they... We'll have a wonder. Can I just say, I just want to take a photo of the plaque yeah, 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 and yeah, uh, this lovely 1950s. This is the best picture I could find online of of some of the instruments in in uh, the Crimea. This is one of the telescopes Lovell describes in his diary. Right. But you get these, you know, declassified US stuff. Yeah. Um, which you can sometimes find some of these pictures in these days. Um, but uh, Ev Ev Pretoria, it's called the location. 
Um, it's obviously a bit of a mm. challenging thing. But, but here's Alabasevich, who was, a, who was actually a... She was a major figure in Soviet science. Um, she was in charge of all the optical tracking facilities they used for their space program. Mm. But this is... This is Don't a, tell me this believe, is Daily Express or Daily... Oh, there you go. Daily Express. I could tell. Believe the, headline, it, believe, believe. the headline says, Beautiful boffins of bid to woo Newton of radio astronomy to defect to the USSR. <laughs> Brilliant. There's probably some truth in it. Yeah. There's probably some truth in it. But, yeah. So there she is. There's Alabasevich with Lovell. And the claim in this article from 2012 is that Lovell was... Subject to a honey trap. Subject to a honey trap of some sort. Now, whether or not... I don't know the truth of that element of the story. It's certainly true they tried to persuade him to defect in this visit that they refer to. I think this article, if you read it, claims to talk claims to have included an interview with an ex-KGB colonel or something right. and you know some of the background yeah. to it. So it's, it's possibly... It would make sense that if they're trying to get him to defect, they're going to try other yeah. methods yeah. other than just... Yeah, but they knew each other anyway, funding. these two. So, I mean, I think they got on quite well and she yeah. visited Jodrell and whatever. So. But it was... Um, I mean, that whole... You know, there was a whole bunch of stuff that went on there. I mean, this is... This is uh, the very first picture ever sent from the surface of the moon mm. um, by a spacecraft that landed on the moon was done by the Soviets in 1966, Luna 9. And basically we hacked into it here and we printed it on, on, a, on a Daily Express picture receiver, in fact. So, um, so the Daily Express were very kind and lent us a... It's not like an forerunner of the fax machine. They, they used to transmit pictures around the world on telephone lines. Basically, that J.G. Davis here recognised the form of the signal the spacecraft was sending out. They were obviously, again, this was a spying mission, really. Mm. Even though it's in the news here, the spying sort was never admitted to. We now know what the story was. But, um, but they, he said, oh, you know, that signal sounds like one of these, you know, like a fax-type signal. Yeah. So they borrowed this thing, put out the call, the Daily Express brought this. They effectively plugged it into the telescope and out came a... Out came a picture of the Brilliant. the very first picture ever sent from the surface of the moon. Yeah. So it was uh, um, amazing stuff. But we know, again, we've got the records now, that the, 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 the tape recordings of these signals went, were sent to GCHQ, they analysed them, they sent them on to the US, and they analysed them, and it was all about working out what they were capable of well, doing. Well, the US were obviously wanting to see how far they were getting ahead in the, yeah. in the race to get... Yeah. You know, a human on the moon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, these sorts of Cold War stories that Jodrell was part of. It was part of this. Um, if you if you were to Google <laughs> Project Flower Garden, um, you'll find declassified reports on this, which is basically um, they obviously the Soviets had their own missile defense radar systems, light filing dales or, or yeah. our systems. These, these are strong radio signals being sent out. They, some of them, they go out with the atmosphere, some of them hit the moon, and they come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. So if you just point your very sensitive radio telescope at the moon, you can hear the echoes of the, of the missile's defence system. And so Jodrell was part of that project. It's called Hedy's Hen House. I think they're supposed to look like a battery farm. Or yeah, something. it does. So they're called the Hen House Radar Systems. Um, so, uh, so we apparently 
with a site that helped determine the strength of that. And of course, I guess the idea was, you know, the power of the radar, you know, mm. it's you maybe you find out the way in which they change the frequencies, you can work out to jam it or whatever yeah, it might exactly. be, yeah. or build some, yeah. design your aircraft shape or structure or something to... Yeah. Uh, some way of countering it. Countering it in yeah. some way. So, so I think there's, although we probably haven't uncovered all the stories, there's a whole bunch of these sorts of... Oh, we're going to go down here. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of these sorts of yeah. Cold War episodes, some bits of which were in the public domain, but it turns out the whole bunch of them were not. So is this okay. where you keep the aliens? This down, is where yeah. we keep the aliens. We're going, we're going down the steps into our cellar basement below the, uh, below the, the control building. Um, now... Uh, one of the reasons we're going down here is because I just want to show you it because it's fun. So we're in, we, no, this is effectively a plant room now. So it's where our internet signals come in and you can see some of the old equipment down wow. here. Um, but new, new sort of breaker units and all that. Yeah. But this is one of the fun features of this is the secret this is where we keep our aliens so that is definitely that's a... an impressive tunnel so this is a this is a tunnel that, that um, extends from below our control building directly out to the below the center of the Lubble telescope right. so if you want to get to and from the telescope unseen or you know out of the now, room who would who, who would, would, want, who to would want to do that unseen eh? i don't know so you sort oh, of wow it's a uh, a pretty interesting view. Obviously, it's it, the, the, the cable, all the cabling from the telescope yeah, yeah. comes down this tunnel, obviously, as well. But it is a way of getting to and from yeah. um, if you wanted to do that without yeah. wandering about yeah. above ground. Get the aliens out without anybody yeah. seeing. Somewhere along there, there's a secret door, and that leads yeah, to the. Yeah. Uh, the other reason, let me just. Jodrell's Jod an interesting place. It's got sort of modern very modern things yeah like we've got very fast supercomputers and things but they're mixed in with what's clearly quite an old you know you know cold war era building and site where you'll still see bits and pieces of equipment that uh oh, what's your step oh thank you uh, that are left over now i'm just gonna can you just hold that i'm just gonna move this ladder and we're just gonna have a look in here so this is our telephone system. So this is all the wiring up, yeah. you know, the, the junction box for the telephone system. And the only reason I want to come in here is because I just want to show you something that our computer manager found, if it's still here. Let me just look for it um, a few years ago. Bear with me while I just no, that's fine. flick through these. You can edit this waiting out if you like. Uh, build the drama. <laughs> <laughs> the drama we'll have of a drum roll. So these are the cards that these are the cards that are oh god they're double sided. I'm gonna to have to look at both sides. Hang on a minute. Okay. These are the cards that are used to indicate all our sort of telephone wiring. So if somebody's um, done work system on it. Yeah, they tell you which they tell you which of these little things is connected to which telephone and all this sort of business. Um, so you know and there's a there's a private wire to Oxford Road, Manchester, which is where the universe, all these sorts of things are all recorded in here. Um, 
Oh, here we oh, go. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, so, yes. Why, why would you need a phone line direct to Cheltenham? Interesting, Or a, and a telex as well. Yeah. Private wire, PW. Yeah. Private wire to Cheltenham, telephone and the telex. And here's another one. And at the top, the address is Lab 5 upstairs, the secret space tracking lab, which we've just been in. So that was, that's been sitting wow. there since, well, there's no actual date on here. This it seems to say revised 10 74. I suspect that's October 74. So it's post October 74. Um, can I are. take a photo of that? Yeah. Is that right? I mean, I've got a photo. You can take a photo yeah. of me holding it if you like. I think so, yeah. I don't think there's anything. Well, we, <laughs> neither of us have probably signed no, the official no, secrets act, no. so I think Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. I must admit, I know that's in there. Our computer manager found this. And as I say, you do find things. Just, it's just sitting around well, in Well, as here, you say, it? it's such an old building and there's like yeah. bits of, like that stuff's been no, sitting no, in there since he, 1974. So he, he, he will have been wiring up some connection because he's doing our internet or whatever else. And then he's just happened to notice this thing. Well, um, that does I've actually, like I can actually, the one I said there's almost a, here's another one. Look, actually, the, there the famous phrase GCHQ just appears in the middle of there for some reason. And I'll have to I'll have to read through oh. that and work out what the heck it is. Fax computer. I mean, that's eighties. Oh yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We used to. I started my research work on a Vax. Um, yeah. So we know. Yeah. As I say, wow. we. I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't know and haven't been told all the, all, <laughs> the, all the stories of George Robank's involvement, but uh, there's evidence for it just sitting around oh. here. Uh, I love which it. It's quite like, fun. It's like a detective story. It is a detective story. Finding these little clues. Yeah. So, I, so I think um, our GCHQ colleagues have uh, have a site now in Manchester, um, right. and, I, and I think I think we may end up with a little display about the connection to Jodrell Bank yeah. in the in, in that location as well. Actually, um, let's just see if we can see who's on duty in the control room, and we can. We can pop in. Hi, Mirza. How are you? It's okay if I bring a colleague in. We're re- yeah, we're recording a podcast about about the Cold War and Jodrell Banks' work during that period. So, do you don't mind if we just talk and? Yeah, I just, yeah. Okay. Moses, the controller in duty, on duty today. Hi, Moses. Thank you for letting me into your workspace. <laughs> He's got nine telescopes to look after. So. 
Yeah, so, so th this, is the, this is the control room. Um, so the, with the Lab 5 space we were in before is up, up behind the... Right. So those windows that look down were, are on a wall underneath yeah. this false ceiling here. But this is the original... Um, I was going to say, this is... I've seen photo of this. Yeah. So this is the, the, the superstructure, at least, is the original control yeah. desk. The innards have changed, and in fact, this top and the dials have changed over the years, but the actual original grey horseshoe desk is still, still here. Um, of course, these days, mostly the, con the controller and others will operate the telescopes via computers. Yeah. Um, they didn't have digital computers at that time that were operating it, but, uh, but then we still use this for effectively, generally for manual control. So if you want to drive the telescope, or you want to emergency stop it... Yeah, I've <laughs> let the big red button, it's got me. It's, it's become bigger in recent years, that button. It <laughs> seems, to, seems to have got bigger and bigger. We have a, we have a tunnel flood alert. So the right. secret tunnel that we just saw, yeah. has the, if that happened to get flooded... That would, but there's, there's wind, wind monitoring, um, yeah. and, and again here... So I guess you have to monitor the wind in order to turn the dish so it yeah. doesn't effectively act like a big sail. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it would, you know, if the wind's very strong, then you could blow the whole thing down. So um, keeping an eye on the weather is a big part of the job of the controller, looking after the, the safety of the equipment and so yeah. on. Um, but also these sorts of um, alarms, one of which just went off then. It, uh, a wind alarm, as I said. Right. So, yeah, it's a little bit... Right. So there's, there's basically four telescopes here, yeah. two big ones. The Mark the Mark 1, as it was, which is now the Lovell, and the Mark 2. Right, where we, apart. We, we, yeah, yeah, which is near... It's where the original big transit telescope was. Um, but yeah, we've got another five telescopes spread across the country. So yeah, up to 200 kilometres and we link them all together as a single giant telescope now. Um, but you can see this room was built for that yeah. telescope, right? Well, it, it, the big it, it feels like, you know, mission control. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's got shades of, shades of that it's going It's got a bit on. of Bond supervillain yeah, yeah. place, hasn't it? So. Enough away. To... If we're doing anything secret still, we'll have kept it very well hidden. So. Yeah. Um, Behind so, this screen, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or under this box. But, and then this is like the control station for the, all the outer, all the other telescopes, if you can see yeah. the CCTV images of them there. Um, so it's probably a bit more like what you might expect a control system to look like rather yeah. than that horseshoe. But oh, I'm but glad, glad that, we yeah, didn't I'm get glad rid of you it. kept that, because, no, no, I mean, it, I it is the integral part of the, well, the this heritage. Is the, this is that balance of... And that looks pretty... Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's heritage as well. It's a, it's a pair of uh, World War II binoculars, basically. But they're used for... I don't know where it's... Is it pointing at the telescope? Yeah. So wow. The, the, so the controllers actually use them to see... Because there's sometimes... They want to have a close look at what's going on on the structure without having to go out there. Or even if there's an engineer working out there, they need to have, just have a look at what's going on. They can see that from here. They're actually... Good quality optics. They are. Okay. But um, let's go down here. So this is not the... The cellar was below this, right? Yeah. So this is the sort of... I don't know what we call this. The basement or something. <laughs> Got two different names for these places. But these are... You know, this is where they would have had equipment here. This is actually where they had the... The fax thing, you know, we talked about for Luna 9 in 1966 where they, got, they hacked into the picture from the moon. That was in here. 
So a lot of detective work goes in me basically looking at old press photos of these events and trying to match and up. looking at the window frames yeah. in the background and i worked out it was down basically it was down here wow. um where they had that stuff and again the, a lot of these places end up being storerooms a lot of our uh, equ equipment tends to get smaller uh, this is uh oh. Monday, july the 21st and the time is 15 40 32 seconds Summertime. I'm just listening, just accidentally right. pressed play on a recording of Lovell. In the spacecraft after a walk on the moon and orders to lift off from the lunar surface in a, just under two So this, this is actually a recording of what was done in 19, July 1969 where the, yeah. for fun we listened in on the Americans on the moon but, but the secret mission was to Use the big Lovell telescope here to track a Soviet spacecraft called Luna 15. The, the same, and it's, I think it's generally just forgotten about, but at the same time that the Americans were on the moon, orbiting the moon was this Soviet robot spacecraft. There were no people on board. Um, and its mission was to land on the moon, yeah. scoop up a sample of lunar soil, and, and try and get, uh, get it ahead of. Well, it probably wouldn't have made it ahead of the Americans getting back. It probably wouldn't have gone back to Earth. But there was a very strong chance that the Americans could have failed, died on the moon. Yeah. The, the Russians, the Soviets, could have succeeded in bringing back a sample of lunar soil and done the scientific analysis. Yeah. And it would have been a massive coup, massive coup for yeah. the Soviet Union compared to the US. Yeah. To have it that way around, and I think you know, the, it was it could have easily been that way around. Yeah. The reality was everything went okay for the Americans. And the Russian spacecraft crashed into yeah. the moon, attempting to land. Yeah. But the crash was recorded by Jodrell with the signals mm. for, actually, for both GCHQ and the US and for the USSR, because the crash happened. They were listening to the signal. They were recording it. We've got we've got the recordings of the tape made by Lovell that he then sent to GCHQ and was sent on to the US with him narrating when these bits of things happened and what they were recorded. Just after the crash happened and the signals stopped from the Soviet spacecraft, the telephone rang here. It was the president of the Soviet Academy of Sciences on the phone, this guy called Keldish, on the phone for Lovell from Moscow, mm. saying, have you been, have you been uh, listening have you been listening in on our spacecraft? And Lovell said, yes, yes, we've been recording this thing. He said, would it, would it be okay if we had a copy of the tapes? And Lovell said, oh, yes, that's no problem. I'll put them in a diplomatic bag. <laughs> and this guy said, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Don't worry, we've already got a man in the air on the way. <laughs> so this guy arrived at Ringway Airport, as it was, Manchester yeah, Airport, yeah. just north of here. And the chief engineer here went, drove up to the airport with a, with a box with the recording of the... Luna 15 crash on it, yeah. handed it over to the guy who got back on a plane and flew back to Moscow. Wow. Now, if it was, I don't know if it was exactly the same recording, the full same tape that was given to yeah. our side, if you like. Yeah. Um, but it tells you how. But it would also have shown what sort of capability Jodrell had in terms of what it was able to pick up. Yeah. So, you know, it's been. There's a, it's, I think that it's giving with one hand and taking with the other, isn't it? Yeah. In some way. And I guess it was mutually beneficial. Yeah. And there was sort of more esoteric science, if you like, stars and whatever, that 
Lovell was studying that they would have collaborated on yeah. anyway. But on this sort of technology side, then yeah, it was very much this sort of almost yeah. I've always I've sort of considered that they're almost almost in this semi-neutral position. Obviously, they were more this more the Western side than the Soviet yeah. side, but they sort of worked with both. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess yeah, you can see both with stars and stuff like that, it's neutral ground. Yeah, yeah. But the, when this you get is... onto the technological capabilities... Yeah. Um, mm, strange. Well, did they, were there Soviet scientists in the US as well on exchanges and, and working with NASA I don't and know. people like that? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. We had conferences and things here. There were com- various conferences and workshops... And we certainly got visitors from the Soviet Union who came here. Um, and obviously they had to have permission to come. And, you know, well in advance. And they would have, there would have been someone, you know, official looking after them. Yeah. I imagine the same probably happened with the US. Yeah. yeah. I can't see Because obviously why. they had the um, Apollo-Soyuz project in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there was a yeah, degree yeah. of cooperation yeah, yeah. there. During yeah. that period, well, there was—I mean, there's, some, there's just too many great stories. I mean, there was a, there was a there was a thing that it was an early sort of communications experiment over the horizon communications, where there was a balloon called the Echo balloon. So it was a balloon that was launched that was reflective to radio waves, and the experiment was going to be to try and use this high altitude balloon to send a signal, bounce it off the balloon, get it over the horizon and, and do communication that way. So before, you know, before they had satellites. Um, and uh, this was all going well until the, I think it was the Americans' balloon. And so there was an American colonel or something here, there's a military involvement. Um, and then they wanted to get the Russians involved as well. Uh, with their instrument in in uh, in the Crimea, and uh, and then basically the, the Americans vetoed it. They didn't want them sending signals to their balloon or whatever it was, you know. Um, and it was this guy J. G. Davis here who said, and they were all very frustrated because they just wanted to do it. They were just enjoying yeah. themselves. I mean, doing this yeah, yeah. thing. And this guy said, "I oh, would not let in the. No, sorry, you haven't got permission to let the Soviets be involved in this project, doesn't it?" And then J.G. Davis said, oh, we've got everything set up. Tell you what, let's use the moon. The Americans don't own the moon, <laughs> which is, which is Brilliant. So they used the moon as the reflector instead. Um, but there's sort of, yeah, there's just just all that sort of thing going on all the time. So I don't know. It was, it was yeah, interesting times, I suspect. Yeah. This is... The noise, uh, not one of our noisy rooms just because of the air conditioning for our computer systems. So basically, it's that sort of. I always think Jodrell's interesting because you go from one room which is, you know, 50s technology. 50s technology, yeah. and it's got sort of into a room that's basically the current cutting edge of computer systems, so, which we're using to study ripples in space-time from supermassive black holes at the edge of the universe, you know. Unbelievable. Which is genuinely what we're doing with yeah. that machine, so. And we need to sweep up in here, so it's a bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> but who's got time to sweep up when you've got supermassive oh, black holes? you've got exciting the... stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. And look at. So, um, yeah, I mean, one other thing that just came to mind was the, these KGBs, the sort of agents that would be alongside the visitors. And I remember 
one of Lovell's children who, you know, I mean, Lovell would have been, well, what would he have been? He would have been 110 or something if he was still around. So his children are obviously getting on a bit. Mm. But they were saying they remembered these people coming and staying. I think Miss Alan Masevich stayed at Lovell's house um, and coming with these people. Right. The, the minders. Yeah. Um, and they, she, I think it, maybe it was his eldest son, Brian, who said, anyway, there's a story, this, this person coming and they're saying, oh, yeah, no, sorry, he doesn't speak English, you know, whatever. And it was like, okay, he just tags around with him, but he doesn't speak English. And then basically overhearing him in another room talking perfect English with yeah, somebody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. so, story that it was okay, they don't yeah. understand what you're talking about. Of course, that wasn't at all true. So it was a funny, must have been a really funny time. The most recent secret project I'm aware of was in 1983. Um, and that was um, a project that I heard the details of from um, Graham Smith, Francis Graham Smith, who was the director after Lovell. Mm. So it was brought in on the secret knowledge. Yeah. Um, Lovell retired in 81. Um, so, uh, what happened was that, uh, there was a cover story, um, the Americans had a, a very, uh, high resolution spectrometer, so it basically takes a radio signal and it, and it looks at the fine, the fine detail of the frequencies within that signal. It can map the spectrum of that signal at very fine, high resolution across a very wide range of spectrum. And so they developed this receiver and it was, it was in a in a big truck that they, they flew in from the US, one probably came into Burton Wood or somewhere, one of the yeah, area, yeah. one of the yeah, air bases yeah. nearby. And they drove it here and it was parked, parked out the front here of the building. Um, and it said uh, NASA on the side. Um, and it's, um, it's uh, had a, uh, I mean, I'll show you a picture of it actually not parked outside and sadly I don't have a picture of it parked outside our building here um, but I did find a picture of it in Goldstone in um, in the back when it was in the USA mm -hmm. so a big trailer um, with big big NASA symbol on the outside um, and, and this is this is Graham Smith's writing it says this this was the visit of a huge NASA trailer to Jodrell, ostensibly for SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yeah. That was the cover story. But including a search for radio channels, I think he says, from Russian spacecraft. So basically there'd been a, there'd been a, there'd been a band that they suspected the Soviets were using on board their spacecraft. Now, of course, there were space probes that went to Venus and wherever that the Soviets were very good at. And it would have been used in those, but of course they had many other spacecraft mm. used for lots of other stuff. Yeah. Um, of a more, you know, military perspective, probably using the same technology. So they wanted to find where this band was, and they'd yeah. been searching for it for 21 years, wow. apparently, and they could not find. And they'd been trying to work it out by reverse engineering. They'd found photographs of some of the technology, so you can tell from the shape mm. of some of the horns and things what mm. frequency it might be and so on um so they were trying to pin it down and basically they came in that that project which was publicized as being a search for extraterrestrial intelligence which you could have used that kit for and they, maybe they did at the same time and they used it for some other astronomy but actually the real reason was because they wanted to do this study of this particular spacecraft and they did detect it here 
Uh, and this is Bob Pritchard's words, the Americans were cock-a-hoop. <laughs> and he finally, finally <laughs> found this thing. 21 years later. 21 years later. But that, that, that's the, the most recent thing I'm aware of Yeah. that was yeah. done under the banner of this yeah. uh, link with, G, with the GCHQ. the UK, I mean, there was that scandal, I think it was in the 1980s, where the UK had secretly funded a satellite, Zircon. Right. Um... And it was a spy, some sort of spy satellite system. And Duncan right. Campbell, the investigative oh, yeah. journalist, had, had revealed it. I can't right. exactly remember the circumstances on it, but I right. just wonder whether... Possibly. There was, you know, some input or... I, I don't, I don't or, know. I mean, yeah. I genuinely don't know. Um, it's possible. It's possible that I'm, you know, I'm almost certain I don't know everything there is to know. <laughs> but, yeah, no, but, you know, no, I, I don't I, actually yeah, know one way yeah. or the other. You've got an, I mean, we've yeah. we've covered some great stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is Bob, who uh, who sadly died um, last year or the year before last, uh, last year I think. Um, so Bob, it was interesting. I was pleased that Bob was able to talk about things before he died, actually, because. Um, he uh, he said you know he found it a very difficult time because he he couldn't you can imagine what people here would be like yeah there was all the suspicions oh is that the men from the the men from the ministry is that yeah. the men from Shelton are they have they gone up the staircase at the back into yeah. and of course you know there was a lot oh is the telescope pointing at the moon mm. you can see where the telescope pointed mm. roughly mm. and so he was often being badgered by people and a bit of Mickey taking and so mm. on you know um, but he couldn't say you know? yeah. So I think he, I did think he did find it a bit difficult, and very gentle, sort of mild-mannered chap, actually, Bob. Yeah. Um, so it was good to talk to him. Well, it must things. have been a real relief for him to I think be so. able to actually to know un- that it was okay, because he yeah. was just assuming until he's told otherwise, he's not going to yeah, say. Yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. And he never did. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it's like those people at Bletchley Park who, you know never told their families no 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 never revealed no so um but, but he it's, had a chance it's to... uh, yeah they're good they're interest, interesting stories from a from an, in, an interesting and challenging and probably very worrying at the times uh, period of history isn't it don't miss the episode extras such as videos photos and other content just look for the link in the podcast information The podcast wouldn't exist without the generous support of our financial supporters and I'd like to thank one and all of them for keeping the podcast on the road. The Cold War Conversation continues in our Facebook discussion group. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thanks very much for listening and see you next week. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history 
Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.